Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Welcome to the 10 a.m. service. I'm super stoked that, that we've been doing this. I get to see everybody's faces all at once. Um, if you would, for me, could you grab, uh, there may be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You may have one on your phone. You may have brought one. Um, I just want to ask that you would turn to um, Genesis 2. Get in the cart before the horse a little bit. I'm Nick Mastrude. Hello. Stoked uh, to see you, but uh, no offense, but I'm more stoked to dive into the scriptures this morning, apparently. <laughs> um, if you turn to Genesis chapter 2, and um, just as a gesture of honor for the reading of God's word, could we stand if you're willing and able? says this, Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. Thank you. Uh, For the last several weeks, Uh, We've been talking about rest and the ways that that plays out in the life of Christ followers. Um, We're on a journey here at Cedar Mill of becoming like Jesus and making him known. And um, one of the ways that we become like Jesus is by taking on the lifestyle of Jesus, right? We, We look at his life and we go, how do we live lives similarly to the way that he lived? And it just so happens that Jesus himself was known for retreating and resting, You guys know that? It was kind of his rhythm. He was retreating and resting often. But even more than that, we see that the the pattern of rest was actually built into the Jewish tradition, dating back to the beginning of scripture, what we just read. But before we get into that, let's talk about Jesus for a bit. If you've read the gospels, you may have recognized something about Jesus and that he was never in a rush. You guys notice that? He was never, he was never in a rush. He was never, it, it never says this in the scriptures. It never says, and Jesus was almost late, so he sprinted to the next city, ignoring all the people all, along the way. He showed up panicked and out of breath, but there he was with Mary. It, it never says anything like that. His, but, but get this, his life was also full. So all those, if you're feeling a little lazy this morning, <laughs> his life was also full. He, he traveled a lot. There, he, he's bouncing around, he's doing a lot of different things, but he was never in a rush. He would, he would uh, go off, he would pray, he would rest, he would recover, and then he would come back and he would be healing people. He would be listening to people and he also was never in a rush. People would actually get frustrated with him. There was this time when Jesus is on a boat and people are wanting him to rush, you know, this, you might know this story. If not, you, you, you have to dive into it a little bit. He was full, but he was never overwhelmed, Dallas Willard has this famous line that goes like this, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I'm convinced now more than ever that if the enemy can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If the enemy can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If the enemy cannot destroy you, he will distract you into oblivion. Uh, We live in an age of distraction. Our culture is built and sustained on busyness and the hustle of the American way. I love how Ronald Rollheiser puts it. He goes like this, 
Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing. I don't know if blindly, it's pretty circumstantial, but blindly flowing together and conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today with our spiritual lives. If someone were to ask you or ask me, what, what is the greatest enemy to, spirit, to Christianity today? What is the biggest thing? I think a lot of people might say, oh, dude, for sure, secularism. Maybe somebody would say pornography or racial tension or our political climate. And, but I don't think that we would place hurry at the top of the list. I don't think that we always identify the hustle and the bustle of the American way as a threat to our discipleship. We may, may we be reminded that the enemy, he doesn't always show up in our lives like the cartoon character with horns and a pitchfork. He most often shows up in the form of another commitment, another distraction, another hour in the office, um, or the temptation to slow down. Oh, I'm finally relaxing, only to stare at a screen or to distract ourselves or to fill our minds and our ears with noise. We have distracted ourselves into oblivion and we are starving for a real soul level rest. Where you actually, not not those vacations that you go on and you come back and you're like, I need a vacation from my vacation. No, like one where you're like, I feel rested. I feel more aware of who I am and what God is doing in this world than ever before. A rest that can sustain life in this cultural moment. We're going through a lot, folks. We need rest in this moment. Would you agree that we need a place to recover we need a place to, to recenter ourselves. We need a pattern of recuperation and recalibration. I can't help but wonder if Jesus would say to our entire generation what he said to Martha in that famous story. You are worried and upset about many things. You are worried and upset about many things. Martha, you're, in the, you're like in the kitchen and dinner is great. Thank you. But here is Mary sitting at my feet. That is the way of a disciple. So this might be convicting, but let me ask this question. Are you still enough to be at the feet of Jesus? Truthfully, ask yourself, are you still enough to be at the feet of Jesus? Do you slow down enough to be with Jesus in a life-giving and meaningful way? Uh, Michael Zigarelli, a PhD at Messiah College in in Pennsylvania, he surveyed 20,000 Christians from around the world, and this is what he came to the conclusion of when it comes to busyness. He said, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming marginalized in Christians' lives, like it would, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Welcome to our lives. I think something that should take a whole lot of credit for this reality is the rise in technology and the access we have to an abundance of information all at one time, whether that information is real or not, right? We, we know every, everything that's going on, even if it isn't going on. We just know a lot of stuff, right? Uh, I'm going to tell you a little secret. This might be the greatest piece of wisdom that you receive all day today. Um, on the side of your phone, there's this button right here. And there's another button right here. It's kind of tricky, though. You have to hold both of them down at the same time. 
Okay, and if you need to contact the authorities to do that middle one, but if, if you want to save your life, it, slide it and turns off. Okay, yeah, write that down, folks. Um, but interestingly enough, I, I'm already concerned that someone's trying to get a hold of me. So interestingly enough, <laughs> if you hold it down again, right, um, it, it's, it's so unique. Oh, yeah, see? It's like so tired, it won't even turn back on. Look at this. This is an apple with a bite taken out of it. <laughs> May this remind us of Adam and Eve and, <laughs> and the havoc that this wore on humanity, right? May this be a reminder of the chaos of, of Adam and Eve as they took a bite of the forbidden fruit. May we not taste from things that invite sin and death into our lives. The truth of the matter is we often, we often ask God, what are you doing in my life? God, why can't I hear you? Why can't I see you? And I think it's because this is probably the loudest thing in our lives. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life moves in the direction of the most noise. And it's, it's because that's the loudest thing in our lives. And I've come to find that God speaks pretty loudly when I turn that stinking thing off. Um, sociologists have been studying what's called hurry sickness right now. And it's this, a behavior um, pattern characterized by continual rushing and, and anxiousness. Hurry sickness is the mirage when a person feels chronically short on time and so tends to perform every act faster and gets flustered when encountering any type of delay. <laughs> I thought that was just normal life, Right. That's not a condition. That's just the, the American way. Philip Bardo, a, a um, sociologist, he gives us three symptoms of hurry sickness. He says this, you move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. That's just logic, right? Uh, when you come to a stoplight, you count the cars ahead of you and then you change lanes. That's also logic. Or you, you multitask to the point that you forget one of the tasks. I'm pretty sure we all have hurry sickness. Um, and, and that's just, just, just the way of our lives. And some of us pride ourselves on how busy we are. I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like, it's almost like a badge of honor. Someone asks, how have you been? And you go, busy. You know, in other words, I've been busy doing a lot of really, really important things. I'm probably more important than you, right? But get this, the only person described in the Bible as busy is Satan. Did you know this? So, so God and Satan are having this dialogue in the book of Job. And look at what it says. Job 1, 7, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. <laughs> going back and forth to and fro. It's crazy. The devil just quoted the mission statement of our lives right there. It is so hard to find peace when you're just running back and forth, trying to make it on this earth. There has got to be something different. There's got to be something better than that. Something that we must recognize and, and come to grips with is that hurry is a form of violence to the soul and none of us are immune. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul and none of us are immune. And my point is, is this, we have a problem and it's time and the solution is not more time, it's more coffee. No, it's not more time or coffee. The solution is to slow down and to simplify our lives around the essentials of discipleship to Jesus. A question I want you to consider this morning is this. If I continue at my pace of life, what kind of person will I become? If I continue doing life this way, will I become more like Jesus or will I be more irritable, more bitter, 
more restless, more numb to the ways of this world. We need a strategy to give us rest. I've heard it said, you tell your body when to rest or it will tell you. And let me tell you, you do not want your body to tell you when to take a rest because it's usually not good. Um, And I have some really, really good news this morning is that we actually have an invitation into rest. God has given us an invitation into rest since the beginning of scripture. I wonder if we've forgotten something that God really, really cares about. There's these 10 things in scripture um, that we know as the 10, what? Commandments, and and these are also known as like the 10 best ways of living found in Exodus 20. Yes, they're commands, but they're also super life-giving. They're the best ways for us to live. Let's think through these for a minute. There's no other gods before me. Don't worship idols. Don't misuse the name of God. This is a unique one, huh? Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet your neighbor. So here in the Ten Commandments, we're given a word that is probably unfamiliar to most of us, and that is that word, Sabbath. And Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Go ahead and say that. Shabbat, which literally means to stop or to cease. So Shabbat, you know, like just stop. The Sabbath is a day to stop working, to stop wanting, and to stop worrying. Sabbath is so much more than just a day off. It's not like, okay, sweet, prop my feet up. Turn. No, no, it's so much more than a day off. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding in the Father's love and then from the Father's loving, from the Father's loving presence, then live the other six days of your week. This, my friends, is what we are desperate for. Let's reflect back to this verse in Genesis 2 that we started off with. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had done or he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Get this. The first thing considered holy in the scriptures isn't humanity. It isn't the oceans or the stars or the sun. The first thing in scripture to be deemed holy is the day of rest. It's, it's a day set aside. It's not a place. It's not a person. It's a moment in time. Uh, the, the last time society tried to abandon the seven-day work week was during the revolution in France. They switched to a 10-day work week to up productivity. They're like, we're just going to grind. We're going to do this. Let's go. What happened? Disaster. The economy crashed. Suicide rates skyrocketed. The productivity levels actually declined significantly. It's been proven in study after study that there is zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours in a week, your productivity plummets. And it, ironically enough, the hour, the hour number, or the number of hours in which that is, is 50 hours, which is a six-day work week. So one study I was reading made this case that there is zero difference between um, product, or in productivity between workers who logged 50 hours and workers who logged 70 hours in one week. Do this essentially the same thing. So, so when we receive the 10 commandments or the 10 best ways of living, here's the full instructions. This is what it says in Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day, Shabbat day, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it, you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, all you said, amen, nor your male or female servants, all your employees said, yes, what's up, um, nor your animals, your dogs getting some belly rubs, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the only commandment that begins with the word remember. And it, it's like God knew what he was talking about. I, I wonder if God knew that this would be the one commandment that was super, super easy to forget. The, the word remember here actually means observe, just like we observe a holiday, but it's a weekly um, moment of, of observing. It is just like we observe Christmas or Thanksgiving only to eliminate all the stress and you get to do that every week. <laughs> On paper, Sabbath sounds really, really good. Like when I hear that, I'm like, sweet, you're gonna give me 24 hours off and great, God's just gonna sustain me and awesome. But I think the Sabbath is actually really, really offensive because it steps on the toes of nearly every idol that Americans worship. Popularity. I can't get a hold of you 24 hours. I stopped, I ceased. Achievement. It's really hard to achieve on the Sabbath, right? Status. Money. I can't make money on the Sabbath. I can't. Popularity. The, the Sabbath does not respect any of it. It just it steps right on it. <laughs> I was listening to a pastor in our area recently speaking on Sabbath, and he says this. As a pastor, if I stole from the church, I'd lose my job. If I cheated on my wife, I'd likely lose my job. If I killed somebody, I might lose. No, he said, I would lose my job. But it dawned on me that if I don't take a Sabbath, I could probably get a raise. He said, do we really believe in the 10 commandments? And then he goes on to say, if I were to be honest, I think we believe in nine commandments and one strong suggestion. The most interesting thing about this commandment is that it's so much more of an invitation and a gift than a command, right? Like when received, it's so much better than a rule or a law. It's like making ice cream a commandment right? It's, it's like making, hey, grab your favorite book and a cold beverage and sit by the pool and you have to do it. It's like, oh, sweet, right? I want to do that. I want you to think back for a moment. Um, here's a connection that I just made recently. It was brought to my attention, but Adam was made on day six. In his first 24 hours as Adam, he, he spent resting day seven, Right? to just be with God and to delight in God. He hadn't even done anything yet. Like I read that, I'm like, come on, prove yourself, bro. Like show yourself worthy. He hadn't even, he hadn't done nothing or anything noteworthy. But get this, to work and then be loved by God is not good news. To work and then be loved by God is not good news. God loves us first and foremost. And it's from that position that we respond but let's start with the rest part first. With God, you don't have to get, get work done to be at rest. That's actually slavery. You are already at peace with God and that's why you can get work done. That's what we remember on the Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda, pastor in the area, he wrote this book called Subversive Sabbath. And it says this, in the beginning, Adam had only God's goodness to celebrate, nothing more. Work had not even begun. The Sabbath teaches us that we do not work to please God. Rather, we rest because God is already pleased with the work he has accomplished in us. Um, I have, a, believe it or not, a sabbatical coming up next year. And um, 
there's this joke that's kind of been going on in my mind, um, but I'm like, I fear leaving only to come back that all the students will be worshiping golden idols. Sorry, I have faith in you guys. But it's kind of a joke in my mind. But as I was like studying the Sabbath, um, something struck with me. Um, that's not the real fear that I have. That's a joke. But I think the real fear I have is that I would go on sabbatical and I would come back and everything would be just fine without me. The, the real fear is that life moves on and I'm not as indispensable as I convince myself that I am sometimes. And the Sabbath is the same way. The Sabbath does the same thing. We often choose not to take a day off because we don't know how non-central we really are. The Sabbath is hard for narcissists, okay? If you take a Sabbath, you come back and you turn your phone on and you realize the world is still turning and that, that's a really good reminder. It's when we come to grips with Colossians uh, 1 verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Sabbath is believing that all things are held together by him and not by you and I. Oh, I can rest knowing that. The world doesn't, doesn't rely solely on me. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that Jesus is Lord and you are not. <laughs> oh, that's gotta be relieving. I pray that's relieving for some of you here this morning. A.J. Swoboda goes on to say, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. That's a tongue twister. The result is this. Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. The most subversive, the most rebellious, the most soul-nurturing, the most fly-in-the-face-of-culture thing that you could possibly do is honor the Sabbath. It's one of the things that distinguishes Christ followers from the world. It's to give control of your time to God. Who really deserves it? Sabbath is a reminder that time is not my own and that it's subject to the rule and reign of God and that he knows best. Dan Allender um, conveniently wrote a book entitled Sabbath. And here's what he says. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day that we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast and play and dance and, careful kids, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. I was recently at the men's retreat. Some of the men here, anybody at the men's retreat? All right. It was fun. It was fun. I had a blast, especially on the go-karts. Weird shift, but I'm mobbing the go-karts, right? Something about go-karts um, is that at some point the governor kicks in. It's like something on the, not like the governor comes, rolls in and tells you to stop. No, like they work similarly though. And, and the go-karts stop accelerating to a certain point. Like it, it takes the fun away, but it also keeps people from getting hurt really, really bad. Okay, Sabbath is kind of like the governor for our lives. Like all week we work, we play, we clean, we cook, we shop, we exercise, we text our friends, and then we hit our limit. 
On the Sabbath, we slow down. More than that, we come to a complete stop and we just go, ah, and we delight in the things of God. That's what's gonna give us real rest, friends. That's what's gonna give us rest. I know of no more formative and countercultural practice for a culture of exhaustion than that of Sabbath. John Tyson said it well when he said, in a 24-7 world, 24-6 living is a sign, it's a wonder, and in a prophetic declaration that there is another way to live. Yeah, let's go. So let's make this wildly practical for a moment. Start where you're at, not where you want to be. I think that the issue with Sabbath is we go, okay, for now on, 24, you know, and it's really hard to, it takes time to develop a 24-hour weekly rhythm of Sabbath. It takes time and intentionality to find what works for you. And the goal, however, is this, to pick a consistent time when you, for 24 hours, resist, rest, remember, and revel. For 24 hours, you resist work. Nope, putting this aside, you resist work. You rest and restore your body and soul. You remember your true identity. And it's not in what you do, it's who you are and who loves you. And then you revel in God's goodness. Just a small piece on each. I'm gonna walk through these real quick. Resist work. We must resist the insatiable desire to do. That's gonna be one of the hardest parts. Like I just wanna do something, like I feel insignificant. It's during Sabbath that we resist defining our lives by our success or our failures. We refuse to believe that we are what we do. We refuse to believe that the world is sustained by my own power and effort. We resist the desire to control the outcome of our lives. We, we no longer try to control people and use them for our own vision. We stop and we let go and we surrender. Then we rest and restore. Many of us today are really good at relaxing. I'm all for relaxing, right? But we sit back at restaurants, maybe even like, watch a few shows, we watch some sports, um, and it does seem to work. That's, that's the thing, being drawn into like this multi-episode, visually stimulating show, it can shift our minds from our problems and we can go, ah, oh, that feels much better until you realize, oh, now I just wasted a bunch of time and I'm just as anxious as I was before. Highly man- manufactured foods are, are, are designed to delight our taste buds and actually distract us for a little bit. Um, but though these things relax us, they rarely renew us. You ever watch several, several shows in a row and go, ah, I'm renewed. No, our souls are rarely restored through entertainment. Restoration comes through rest. Relaxation simply is not enough. Um, Exodus uh, 31, 17, get this. It says, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed and was refreshed is the key there. Not only did God rest on the Sabbath, he was refreshed by it. And this, this word refreshed in the Hebrew, it means to exhale. <sighs> it means to catch one's breath. Let that sink in. If God rested on and was refreshed by the Sabbath, what do you think that could do for us, for God's people? And then we remember our true identities. We're so quick to connect who we are by what we do. It's built into our society. I'm usually, I, hopefully I'm not this aggressive. Hi, I'm Nick. What's your name? Oh, that's cool. What do you do? It's often, that's how our culture works. What do you do? In other words, tell me who you are by what you do for a job. Sabbath is a reminder that we are so much more than what we do for a job. Sabbath is a time when we lay down the idol of workism. I heard this and it, this, is, uh, this is so good. Secular slavery becomes spiritual sonship when we rest on Jesus's chest. 
On the Sabbath, we embrace our God-given identity as children dearly loved by God. We simply enjoy being with him. We, we nurture our truest sense of identity and let the rest fall away. This weekly rhythm or this weekly time with Jesus, it tempers our ungodly ambition and enables us to remember who we really are. Uh, again, AJ, he's a, he's a legend in this, but he says this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel scream the same thing. We do not work to get to a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That is slavery. Rather, we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into rest. And then finally, we revel in God's goodness. In a culture that seeks to numb us with senseless pleasures, we recover the wonder of godly delight. We arrange our life in such a way that sin no longer looks good to us. We often fall into the trap of believing that our faith is only about self-denial, which it is very much so, but on the other side is biblical delight in feasting on the goodness of God. We feast on the goodness of God. On the Sabbath, we're reminded that Christians are called to order dessert and laugh until it hurts. That's what, write that down, kids. Sabbath, we order dessert, we laugh until it hurts. The Sabbath is filled with not overindulgence, but feasting on God, it's sensory delight. And, and it's wonder that reminds us, even for a moment, that Jesus is making all things new as we see it in Revelation 21. Sabbath is feasting on the things of God to again taste and see that the Lord is good, like in Psalm 34. There's this Jewish tradition, I love this. Excuse me. Jewish tradition that every Sabbath morning, the husband would go and get everyone in the household a spoonful of honey so that they may never forget the sweetness of God's rest. For you, this might look like maple syrup on a pancake. (laughs) Or it might look like a a latte from Haven. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, insomnia, okay, yeah. Anybody else? No. Uh, So with that, I just, I, I, I kind of want to wrap things up, but we've talked a lot about rest. We've talked a lot about the Sabbath, but I want to conclude with the gospel this morning. I think that's fitting and appropriate. Jesus traded his wounds for our rest- restoration. Jesus gave his righteousness for our sinfulness. He's not very good at trading. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that because I was once lost and now I'm found because of Christ. In a world that is restless and chaotic and exhausted, we can rest in the fact that there is an abundance of hope on offer for all people who come to him. If you're struggling to find rest in this season of life, can I encourage you, come and rest in the Father today. You will find rest that will recover your soul. The rest that your life deserves and longs for will not be found anywhere else. Don't settle for pseudo-rest. If you've never put your hope in Christ today, may today be the day that you find yourself knocking on his door. He is the only trustworthy foundation for our life. If these last couple of years have taught us anything, it's that nothing else will do. Nothing else will sustain our lives. Nothing else will do. No other foundation. Did you put your trust or hope in anything in these last couple of years? Did it let you down? I'm willing to bet yes. And out of sheer love and concern, I urge you to come to Christ today. If you have yet to put your hope in Christ, you're here, you literally walked in, you're like, I, I don't even know how I ended up here. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Um, I'm gonna ask you, to, if you wanna give your life to Christ, you're like, dude, I've never actually trusted Jesus. Today is the day. You might've walked in lost, but I'm praying that you walk out of this place found with life 
and a light that you've never experienced in your life, um, would you just pray this with me? Everybody just bow your heads. Let's pray this. Father, I have sinned, and because of that, I've been separated from you. Life apart from you hasn't been fulfilling me in the way that I thought that it would. And today I believe that Jesus's death is mighty to save. I'm surrendering my life to your leading today, God. Thank you for loving me at my worst and offering me your best. Send me your Holy Spirit to help me on this journey with you. Amen. We're going to bow our heads again and just, just pray in unison um, generally. Actually, would you stand with me? And we're going to pray, and then we're just going to respond in worship and delighting in God. Um, Father, we, we just open up our lives to you, and we're, we're just so grateful that you, you, you see us, and you see that there's chaos going on. You see that there's the hustle and bustle of what's going on, and you actually give us an answer to that, and it is Sabbath. You give us your Holy Spirit. You give us a place to rest. You give us Jesus as an example, and God, I pray that Cedar Mill would be people who latch on to the rest that only you can provide, and I pray that when people experience the people that are in this room, they go, what in the world is different about them, and they get an opportunity to share you with those people. God, fill Cedar Mill um, Bible Church with your spirit. Fill them with your rest. I pray that it would point to something bigger and greater. We give ourselves to you, and I just pray that you'd be glorified in our worship as we respond this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and worship. Amen.